on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, weekdays from 9 to 11, right here on WKOM 1017. You never know who's going to stop by. One of the leading voices, certainly in the Southeast, on college football, John Bryce with footballscoop.com. We have with us this morning Mike Keith, voice of the Titans, TWSAA Executive Director Bernard Childress, New York Times bestselling author, author of Three Ring Circus, which dropped yesterday, Mr. Jeff Perlman, the voice of the Blue. Raiders Chip Walters joining us. AP Tennessee Sports Editor, three-time Tennessee Sports Writer of the Year 2020 TSWA Hall of Famer. She covers the Titans, the Predators, the Grizzlies, college football, and hoops. Please make welcome Teresa Walker. High school sports is what we do, but it's not all we do. Don't forget about Top 5 Tuesday and Wild and Wacky Wednesday. Be sure and check us out from 9 to 11 a.m. on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. 1017 WKOM. Maurice and I would like to take a little time to thank Robert Rogers and all the folks at Parks Motor Sales for sponsoring the Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today special guest podcast. When you need special treatment during your next new or pre-owned vehicle purchase, visit Parks Motor Sales at 919 Nashville Highway in Columbia or visit them online at parksmotorsales.com. Covering the teams you care about, it's Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. Once again, with Mo, here's Chris. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Day, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Chris Yamo, Patton Coach Mike with you here on this Wednesday hump day edition of the show. If you missed any part of today's show, the Prep Sports Podcast, hour number one is available on the website at sm-tnsports.com. Hour two will also be available in special guests where you can hear uh, interviews with guests and uh, without having to do about anything else so uh, you can just enjoy just those those segments if that's what you prefer Uh, you can go back and hear yesterday's interview with mike keith and after today's show you can go back and listen to today's interview with vandysports.com's chris lee who joins us on the parks motor sales hotline chris good morning and thanks for joining us All right. Um, Chris, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay, cool. Great, great. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking some time with us this morning. Um, What prompted us to um, to reach out to you was twofold. One, um, I heard something really preposterous during the Vanderbilt-Missouri baseball game last Thursday night. And two, um, really – groundbreaking in more ways than one announcement earlier this week about some um some <laughs> i just pulled a jp <laughs> about some money being raised and some um athletic facility improvements being planned on the vanderbilt campus first let's talk about that the vandy united campaign that's that's going on Yeah, this is something I had heard was coming for a while. The school has basically committed $300 million, uh, which I have now twice on podcasts or or show appearances referred to that as the $300 commitment uh, accidentally, which provided a little bit of unintentional humor. Uh, (laughs) But but it it was kind of accurate at the same time because some years they – 
you weren't sure they were going to commit $300 to athletics. Mm. Uh, but jokes aside, significant guys, we can debate how much they need to put in. And Malcolm Turner was shooting from anywhere from $800 million to a billion dollars. He thought that's what they needed to bring everything up to speed. And you know, we can have that conversation at some point. And, and frankly, we don't know how well they're going to hit the mark until we know exactly what they're going to do, which they haven't announced yet. I think we have a decent idea, and I can speculate some on that later if you like. But the point is, if this dwarfs anything Vanderbilt has done, right? The the baseball program had to pull teeth to be able to get, what, a $13 million facility a couple of years back. Uh, The indoor practice facility that James Franklin pushed to have built and had built I mean, there was all kinds of, of consternation over that. That was $31 million. I mean, this investment here that they've announced dwarfs it. And I think as much as anything, it points to a will and leadership from the chancellor's office uh, that we haven't seen, even under Gordon Gee, where a lot of good was done. And I think that's the most significant thing is you have a chancellor who is willing to make a major commitment to sports and take a position that, frankly, on that campus sometimes is unpopular for spending money for what is just viewed as, as kids' games. I think the fact that you have a guy in leadership who hasn't even been there a year now and things have always already changed to that extent, I think that's really significant. Yeah, Chris, I, I remember speaking with Gordon Gee when um, there were a lot of improvements taking place across the southeastern conference and and the comment that he made was we're not going to get into an arms race with you know whoever it is that you're talking about be it i think it was auburn in particular at that point but um with whoever it is be it auburn Ole miss whatever it is and that attitude is pretty well permeated that campus and so to see something like this has to really be uplifting for a lot of folks, particularly the people in McGugan Center, I would think. Yeah, and look, I've been their biggest critic over the past few years, and I think it's all been deserved. But I'm really genuinely happy for a lot of players and coaches uh, and fans and donors who have waited for something like this to happen. Look, I'm not saying that you need to go out and buy an indoor water park or chocolate waterfalls or some of the crazy stuff that happened. That's never going to be Vandy. And I wouldn't suggest that, that it should be. But when you're having to, to move weight to an indoor practice facility so kids can lift and stagger schedules because your kids who are already stressed with class schedules and the workload at Vandy, which is going to be more difficult than it is anywhere else. And those kids have to jump through hoops to get basic things. And that school is worth you know, how many tens of billions of dollars uh, between endowments and and land and all those things, you know, the the cry of poverty and we can't afford this and that just has been absurd to me at times. And I'm glad to see that there has been a more realistic approach because no, nobody's saying that sports should be more important than stuff on campus. But we see the checks that they get from the SEC every year. We see how high profile sports has become. We see the exposure that that can get for a school, good or bad. In Vanderbilt's case, it's usually good. And, and I'm glad to see for a lot of people over there who have pushed and worked hard and, and anguished over this that they're finally getting their day. Speaking on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline with Chris Lee of VandySports.com, you know, Chris, when, when you come out publicly and you say you're going to do something like this, 
I know that there's been a lot of wait and see and um, I believe it when it happens and that kind of thing within the Vanderbilt fan base and rightfully so. Is there more optimism around this particular campaign slash commitment or is there still a waiting for the other shoe to fall type of attitude do you feel like? Both, and I feel like both are deserved, right? Because they've announced the number and they've put a target out there. And I, look, I don't know why you would announce a number if you didn't intend on doing it. It sounds like they've already raised donations. The school has already pledged some money. And, and I think the other third might be coming from a bond issue. Um, perhaps I think they may try to get some more funding raised. And, and, and by the way, um, nobody said that they were against going beyond this at, at some point, which I think the chancellor hinted at. But I think until ground is broken and we see what the plans are, um, there's also some skepticism warranted. I mean, they're talking a big game. They're talking like this is a groundbreaking thing. Well, we we don't know exactly what the things are yet. They've told us there's going to be a football performance center, a basketball performance center. So I think there's a little bit of a fair element of it. Let's wait and see, and then let's compare that to competitors once it's announced. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that you have to think and realize when you're talking about Vanderbilt athletics in general is, you know, when you, when you look at the commitment at $300 million and you've already got one guy who stepped up and put 10 million, John Ingram, uh, a board of trust member uh, has put $10 million in there looking for 90 more from, uh, um, I think they got a $90 million uh, from anonymous donors. So what do you feel like is, is this a community oriented? Like when UAB's football program shut down, you know, the community was the one were were the ones who really brought this back. I mean, this isn't something the university was just going to do on its own. This had to be brought, brought by John Ingram and said, look, I'm giving ten million dollars. Let's do something real with this. Yeah, I think John Ingram is always going to be an important driver. He's their biggest donor, has been for a while. But I think John has wanted a lot of stuff to be done uh, that, that just hasn't been done, and and I think been frustrated for years and years and years. So I think more than just a donor led thing, I, I think you've got five or six years of, of bad publicity running. You know, you've got a chancellor who used to duck interviews from Adam Sparks and literally almost run away from the microphone when he tracked him down to get quotes and things like that. So, yeah, I think the donor initiative, and especially John Ingram, was important. But I think after a while, I mean, my goodness, the school had to get tired of hearing about, you know, how negligent it was towards athletics and, and all the things that, that people said. And again, fairly and, and frankly, um, as somebody connected to that program told me before last season, you know, maybe going winless, uh, w- which was the forecast at the time, and that's how it happened, wouldn't be the worst thing for the program because it would put on display exactly how bad things were. Look, Vanderbilt football has been bad for a long time, but the one thing it had never done until last year, and, and yes, I know that it was a conference-only schedule, is it had never gone winless in the league. So I, I think, too, if you're a chancellor, you're getting to campus, you're seeing what's going on, you had to sit up and take note and go, hey, people are saying this about us. 
um, you know, you're looking at the checks and then you're seeing the product on the field. I think it wasn't just John Ingram. I have to think a lot of other things mattered there too. Okay. Chris, the one thing that kind of hit me as I'm sitting here listening to and, and participating in this conversation, how much is Vanderbilt's situation hampered by the landlocked state of that campus? I mean, there's there's just nowhere really to go, is there? Yeah, and, and it's not just the landlockedness of it. It's the, the fact that if you want to buy anything, it's it's expensive. Now, having said that, uh, that has not stopped them recently. I think they've bought the Holiday Inn, the Wendy's. I don't know what those are getting used for. Um, yeah, and one of the options that Malcolm Turner had gone through is, as I understood it, the way it was presented to him was, here's the parcel of land that you might have available to you. That includes the footprints where your current facilities sit. That also includes that big hospital parking lot across from the practice field. And one option that was presented to Malcolm was, hey, look, you've got all this land in which you can build your facilities. What would the options be? And one of the things they were looking at is building an entirely new stadium and I think maybe an entirely new basketball arena too, um, where that parking lot is. And I, I think one of the ideas at one point was to maybe move Hawkins Field over to where the baseball field is now. And, and maybe that's how you got close to a billion dollars, right? Is one of the options would have been moving all those things around within that footprint of the current place that those occupy plus that parking lot. Uh, but, but yes, um, that, that was about as, as loose as it was going to get in terms of what was available to them. And if you take that parking lot away, uh, yeah, and you're using the Holiday Inn and Wendy's purchases for other things, uh, yeah, there are not a whole lot of other options available to you. There you go. Chris, I want to shift gears real quick because Maurice posted something on Twitter, and um, it certainly drove a, a little discussion here as far as uh, big baseball fans here, big baseball fans here. Um is there any chance at all that Vanderbilt does not have the top two overall picks in the Major League Baseball draft? Uh, yeah, you could see Jordan Lawler, a, a shortstop out of Texas, go, um, who, by the way, is a Vanderbilt commitment, too. Um, so <laughs> I, I saw that, somebody refer last week on Twitter to almost modern for guys that were committed to schools but got drafted and never got there. That's a term that should catch on. So so if Jordan Lawler were to get drafted and signed, then he would be – his almost motto would be Vanderbilt. But technically, Vanderbilt would still have the <laughs> yeah, top two right. overall picks and maybe the top three. Yeah. Well, and then let me give you a, a, another what if. Um, Little, who's their midweek starter and in struggling some, would have potentially been a top – five overall pick in this draft mm-hmm. and he stayed in high school rather than to come to Vanderbilt. Now he enrolled, he's 17. He should be in high school graduating had he gone about things the normal way. So, I mean, in, in a weird world, there, there's there's maybe four of the top five picks that are that are <laughs> either alma maters or, or whatever the term was most throughout there, almost maters. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a draft that's dominated top. I'll, I'll give you 
a what if to how it doesn't happen. And this is something they brought up on the Baseball America podcast that I hadn't really thought about. And it was the Pirates hold the number one overall pick, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're the Pirates, you're not winning anytime soon, right? And, and Jack Leiter's a kid, and frankly, Rocker, too. Those kids could get out in the big leagues right now. We all know that. But if you're the Pirates, this is a long-term rebuild. I mean, you look at that roster, you don't have a whole lot left. I mean, who's their best player on that team? Is it is it maybe Brian Reynolds, another Vandy kid, by the way? Um you're not going to be contending for division titles or wild cards anytime soon. The case against picking one of those two guys in that spot would be in that situation, you might be better off going with a younger guy with a longer development path that by the time he's ready for the majors, you have more pieces around him. Um, now, if you're just picking the best player right now, um, goodness gracious, I have a hard time not taking lighter uh, with, with apologies to Rocker, who's who's awesome too, and in a month from now we we may flip these this discussion and, and say Rocker looks like the better guy. But yeah, I mean, I, I think either of those guys are worthy of going number one overall. It's just a choice of how does Pittsburgh play that. That starts a really interesting conversation, Chris. I think the the concept that take a kid who's less less major league ready right now so that he'll be ready when you're ready to compete as opposed to taking a kid who is more major league ready, i.e. a rocker or a lighter. And I think it kind of flies in the face of conventional wisdom, which having covered the Nashville Sounds when they were a Pittsburgh Pirates um, affiliate makes perfectly good sense for them to think that way. Yeah, and, and let's go on the other hand, though, too. Um, if you're a Pirates fan, there has not been a whole lot to be excited about uh, since Barry Bonds was your left fielder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want gate revenues. You want some sort of excitement around that. I think having a rocker or a lighter take the ball every fifth day, uh, starting a year or two from now, uh, at least gives people something to watch. And, and I don't know, I, I think if I'm running a franchise, I have to consider that too. But it's going to be interesting to see how they process all these things. Definitely. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and, and I guess there's no one, quote, right way to do it. But clearly the Pirates didn't find themselves in this position overnight. It's been a series of bad decisions and to me it, it just seemed like it would make sense to make the make the pick that's going to have the quickest impact on you but I, I see what you're saying I mean one pitcher going out there every fifth day isn't going to get them back in the playoffs so uh, I can see that thought process don't really care for it but I can see it so um hey Chris Lee of VandySports.com joining us here on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline. Chris, really appreciate you stepping in with us for a few minutes today. Uh, You bet. Anytime, guys. All right. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's Wild and Wacky Wednesday on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Day, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Stick around.
Thank you for listening to the Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today special guest podcast brought to you by Parks Motor Sales. Don't forget to listen each day live 9 to 11 a.m. on WKOM 1017 FM in Columbia. Also visit our website sm-tnsports.com for more local sports coverage in Southern Middle Tennessee.